If you have your New Testament, I invite you to turn to James, the first chapter. We've talked a long time about the Christian life, and he was a study in disinterest and apathy and rejection of the Christian walk. And as we talked about um, becoming a member of the church and placing one's life in the church, he said, I am, I am somewhat confused. He said, I am really, really confused. He said, I, I would like to be, I would like to put my life in a church. I'd like to become a part of that kind of thing, that kind of fellowship and group. But he said, I'm, I'm, I am confused about why a person really needs to be involved in the church or a part of the church. And he said, I, I am really troubled and distressed by the fact that so many people believe one way and behave another. A.W. Tozier said that there is a great enemy which threatens the life of the church. It is the disparity between theology and practice. He said, evidently, too many Christians want to enjoy the thrill of feeling right, but they don't want to experience the inconvenience of being right. There is a disease, an epidemic, and it's somewhat distressing, I think, this tremendous difference and disparity between the way we profess and the way we practice as the church. We were just discussing before I came in here tonight with some down in the, in the little class I have that, that it, it's almost, uh, you know, it's almost disheartening as you, you know, move among the people on the outside who talk about the fact that that this is just kind of a little game people play and that there is really no relationship between what happens on Sunday in the lives of most people and what happens the rest of the week. And that is a heartbreaking problem and disease and epidemic and it truly it is threatening the life of the church. And so what James is getting at in this little New Testament book is how to narrow the gap between the way we profess and the way we practice, narrowing that separation between theory and practice, between believing and behaving. And he asks again and again, in essence, if you believe so right, why do you act so wrong? And so I want us to, to see how in this passage, beginning at verse 19, how we can narrow the gap that separates the profession from the practice. And it's an interesting study I think you'll find. Beginning at verse 19, I want to say four things about in, in general, some general observations about how we go about narrowing the gap between theory and practice or theology in practice. The first is that this is an imperative truth. He says in verse 19, This you know, my beloved brethren. 
and it is an imperative command. This is significant. This is vital. This is important, folks. The difference between theory and practice, between belief and, and action, this is a critical thing. This is an imperative thing in our time. This is a vital thing. What we are discussing tonight, if we've ever dealt with anything that is vital and imperative, it is this. There's got to be something happen that will narrow the gap between theory and practice. It is an imperative truth. Secondly, this is a family truth. He says, my beloved brethren. These, these words that are going to follow as he tries to help us narrow the gap. This is for God's people. It assumes that you're a part of the Christian family, that you know the Lord, that you belong to Christ. This is not for the unbeliever what he's going to talk about. It's for God's people and it assumes that these Christian people that he's going to be talking to, that he assumes that we who belong to the Lord will take this matter seriously. And it's a word for, the, for us. Thirdly, it is a personal truth. Let everyone, let each one, let everybody. Now the great problem in the disparity between theory and practice is that one person in the life of the church with a poor witness casts a reflection on the entire church. Um, one of the burdens that I have as a pastor of a church, and I try to share that, the very first Sunday night I preached here is that this church will only be as strong as its weakest member. And that we are lashed together in this thing and that we rise or fall together. And that if each one of us doesn't recognize the tremendous burden of responsibility to live like we profess to live, then it, dis it, it casts a disparaging reflection on the entire church. There are a lot of things that people say about the membership of the First Baptist Church that are not positive things. And they're saying it about people, uh, about maybe one person that they've seen, but their life affects the entire fellowship. Folks, no man lives to himself and no man dies alone. And if you're not living God's kind of life and His kind of an example, young people and adults, it casts a reflection on the entire group every time. It is a personal truth. Fourth, it is a logical truth. And the logic He defines, and you'll see it in the outline in the worksheet, for He talks about preparation for truth and reception of truth and then response of truth. So let's come to the preparation of truth. Now, 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 now follow the logic of this and watch this if you will. If we're going to discover how in the world to extend beyond what we get on Sunday morning and let it affect every day's life, if we're somehow going to get what we do here in, in, in profession out into daily life and practice, there are some things that have to happen when we come here on Sunday. And there's some preparation that must go on before we come here and as we come here and as we hear God's message that will enable us to get beyond just profession into daily practice. Number one, 
is that we must have an open ear. He says, but let everyone be quick to hear. You've heard of a fleet of foot. He's talking about fleet of ear. And, he's, and it's the picture of a rabbit, really, who is not only fleet of foot, but he's sensitive to every sound. You know, Jesus is constantly saying, have you not heard? I want you to know people come every Sunday to Sunday school and church, but never really hear what is being said. And I would imagine that if you quizzed some people, and this may be a reflection on the preacher, what did he say this morning? Most of us wouldn't have the slightest idea what was said 30 minutes or an hour after we left. Before we get God's Word, and that Word becomes more than just theory, we're going to have to fine-tune in on what God is saying. Quick to hear. A, an open ear, secondly. He must have a controlled tongue. He says, slow to speak. Has it ever occurred to you that since you have two ears and one mouth, it might mean that you're to listen twice as much as you're to talk. But you know, listening is a very rare art. One man came to Socrates, a young man came to Socrates, and he said, I want you to teach me the skill of, of oratory. And as they talked, this man just kept up an incessant stream of chatter. And Socrates says, well, I'll have to charge you twice. And he said, what do you mean you'll have to charge me twice? He said, well, I'll have to teach you the science of holding the tongue. Then I'll have to teach you the science of the wise use of it. Most of the time, we are a lot better at talking than we are listening most of the time, when somebody is saying something, we're thinking about what we're going to say next. Um, Chuck uh, Swindoll was telling about a man in college in a communication class that just decided he would just kind of investigate this, and he said uh, they were having a reception for the college students and the faculty, and as the people came through the line, he said very calmly, my mother died last night. And he said, he got kind, this kind of response. Well, congratulations. Or, we're sure glad to be here also. Or, we're pleased to see you, sir. We're happy to see you also. And he said, I, understood, I knew that as they came through the line, each one of them was thinking about what he was going to say to me, not what I was saying to him. Before the Word of God can move through the life into the daily practice, into the world, we're going to have to learn to listen twice as much as we talk. Third, we're going to have to have a calm spirit. He says, slow to anger. Verse 20. Now there are two possibilities as, what, as to what this refers to here. It may refer to one's reaction to the Word of God. Some people react violently to the Word of God and that makes them angry when God's Word bears down upon, you know, and backs them into a corner. W.C. Fields once said, I stayed up all night last night reading the Bible, looking for loopholes. 
And sometimes when the Word of God bears down on us, it's not the most comfortable thing and it's not the most delightful and it makes us angry. I know some folks that just get hostile when preachers begin to bear down on certain issues, don't you? Or it may mean don't get agitated or don't be uptight or upset when you come to hear the Word of God because you can't hear the Word of God when you're agitated. Could it be that that's the problem as to why you can't get anything out of Sunday? Is you're agitated when you get here? Has that ever happened to you? You get up and the kids are not ready and you know it's just chaos and turmoil at the house and by the time you get to church you're a nervous wreck. What you hear in Sunday school, what you hear in church doesn't really sink in There's because you're agitated when you get there. What do you do about that? Well it involves a preparation on Saturday night. I don't really like to, uh, like to take a lot of engagements on Saturday night because Saturday afternoon I just like to get quiet. Saturday night I like to just get quiet with a calm spirit and get ready for God to really tell me or speak to me about what I'm to do on Sunday. Number four, it requires a clean heart. Verse 21, he says in verse 21, therefore putting aside all filthiness, it's interesting that that word comes from a derivative of the word that, that means that, that refers to wax in the ear. And, and he's saying, you can't hear the word of God because you have sin in your life. Before you're ever going to be able to hear the word of God and that word really sink to the heart, you're going to have to get the sin out of your life, like wax in your ear. And there's a little joke that we used to tell eight-year-olds you know, are about the only ones that laugh at it, but about the guy who had the carrot in his ear. And the person said to him, hey, you've got a carrot in your ear. And he said, what? You know, he said, you've got a carrot in your ear. And he got a little louder. He said, what? He said, I see you have a carrot in your ear. And he said, I can't hear you. I've got a carrot in my ear. Now, that's, a, that, you know, that's kind of a silly little joke, but it seems to be what God is saying You've got sin in your life, but you can't hear Him because you have sin in your life. And before God can really speak to you and to me, we're going to have to get the sin out of our life. Can you imagine a person preparing for surgery tomorrow and you're going into surgery? You know what happens, don't you? They take you into that, they come into your room and they scrub and wash and shave and they clean you up and they take you into that germ-free environment absolutely perfectly clean and the surgeon scrubs up and it's a perfectly clean germ-free environment because you can't go into something like that with filthy hands. You know why God is not able to get through, with us, get through to us many times? It's because we have sin in our life and we know we have sin in our life. And then he says, all that remains, it's the idea of cleaning out the land of the weed and digging up everything in our life that is contrary to the holiness and the will of God. Now hear me well. 
I'm praying for a revival in the First Baptist Church in Durant. Every day of my life I'm praying for that. In my quiet time I'm crying out for that. But I'm here to tell you that we will not experience revival in this church until people get their lives cleaned out. Until there is repentance of sin, until there is personal holiness, God is not going to bless this church or any other until people live holy lives. Now what is the reception? That's the preparation. How about the reception? Verse 21, there are two things involved in the reception of the Word of God. The first is attitude. He says in verse 21, in humility, it, it means attitude. It has the idea of a teachable spirit. Before God can teach us, we have to be teachable. I want you to picture in your mind tonight an overweight man. If you can't imagine one in your imagination, look up here. A guy gave me this little cartoon this morning and had this, this man, was this, this physician. <laughs> now I'm not going to call names who gave me this cartoon, but here was this physician and he was examining this fat guy. And he said, the human body is the temple of, uh, is, is the temple of God and you have too large a congregation. <laughs> If you have a problem uh, imagining an overweight man, look up here. Now here's this overweight guy and he's been told, now listen, you're going to have to lose some weight. You're jeopardizing your health. You're going to have a heart attack. That's hard on your heart. You need to lose weight. His physician tells him that and puts him on a diet. He just keeps on eating. His wife nags him, honey, you need to lose some weight. You're getting too large. It's bad on your health. He just, oh, I'm going to quit nagging, and he keeps on eating. One day he's at work, and something happens to him. He feels like a ton of weight just crushes down on his, heart, on his chest. He's never had a heart attack, but he's heard about them, and he knows he's having one. It's excruciating pain. It's terrible pain. He can't stand it. They call an ambulance and they put him in it and they're rushing him to the hospital. They're, they're taking care of him, putting um, fluid in his veins, medicine in his veins, trying to save his life on the way to the hospital. You know what he's saying? If I live over this, I'm going to lose weight. If I make it through this heart attack and survive, I'm going to lose weight. You know the difference? The same man, you know the difference? He has become teachable. He has reached a position where he is able to respond to the truth. I hope that God doesn't bring, have to bring us to the place, ladies and gentlemen, where we will be made to be teachable. A teachable spirit in humility, he says. Secondly, is the action. Receive the word. It means to welcome to my home. It's the picture of a person who is hungry 
and he's really not finicky about what there is to eat as long as there's a lot of it. I think the problem with, with, with most of us in the church today is that we are burnt out and we're not hungry for God's Word. Somebody said to me when we were talking about coming here to pastor this church, they said, our people are hungry for the Word. Are you really hungry for the Word? Folks, if you're really hungry for the Word, it doesn't matter who your teacher is Sunday school. You're not going to be that finicky. If you're really hungry for the Word, it's not going to matter what kind of problems arise during the week that will keep you from Sunday school. If you're really hungry for the Word, it doesn't matter who's up here preaching. We're not going to be finicky about what kind it is or who's doing it as long as there's a lot of it. Action. Receive. Welcome, Lord. Just give me your Word. Just lots of it. Isn't it strange? I guess it's a sign of our time that the Word of God can be taught and preached and the people can stay away when it's done. Finally, there is the response in verses 22 through 27. First of all, there is a command, and the command is this, prove yourselves doers of the Word and not hearers only. Now, now he's not saying that we're not to be hearers, and he's not saying that we're not to be doers. He's saying we're to be, we're to, to have them together. He's not talking about a person who is active without knowledge, that's zeal without knowledge. And he's not talking about a person who just takes in all the time and never does. He's saying somehow we're going to have to relate them together and combine them so that a person is a doer of what he hears. Prove yourself a doer of, a, of what you hear. Have you ever noticed that the word hearer there is a word that comes from the word auditor? Have you ever had a class where somebody just audited the course? They just came and, and, and they just listened to the instructor and listened to the instruction, but they never took a test and it wasn't really vital whether they were there or not. They were there by choice and they were just kind of auditing the course. While I was in the seminary, there was an old fellow named Pops who lived right by the campus. He audited every course in the seminary two or three times. He was just a fixture. Now we were struggling and working and laboring over what we were getting there. He was just having time of his life. He was auditing the course. Folks, some of you have audited the course all your life and are doing little about it. We've sat in Sunday school all of our life, haven't we? We've been coming to church since we were knee high to a grasshopper. But let, let, me, let me ask you, I mean, really, has it really made a difference in the way you live? We just audit the course. And we've heard and we've heard and we've heard. 
And sometimes somebody will say, Pastor, we need another Bible study. And somebody will say, we need a training class on how to witness. I know some folks that got, you know, all, their whole wall is lined with study course certificates. Then there's the illustration. He said, the person who just hears the word and does nothing is like the man who looks in the mirror and does nothing about it. It's like getting up on Sunday morning and walking in there and looking at the mirror, looking at the mir- in the mirror at yourself and saying, "Oh, mercy. Look at that." <laughs> and you know, a little beard and disheveled hair and sleepy eyes. Did any of you come this morning like you looked when you looked at yourself in the mirror? Of course you didn't. You looked at yourself in the mirror and you tried to change what you saw in the mirror and make yourself look presentable to come to church. When you look in the mirror and you see what's there, you change that look and you come, you know, you put on your face, etc. James is saying that sometimes we come and we look in the Word of God and we see ourselves like we really are and we go away and we do nothing about it. And then finally, there is the example, and he says, there are three tests. I want you to get this, and then I'm through. Verse 26, beginning there, there are three tests of real religion. Three tests of real religion. If anyone thinks himself religious, now if you think you're really, really got it, you're really religious, here are the tests. Number one, you'll be able to control your tongue. I think that involves profanity, and I think that involves gossip. If you're really God's people, you're able to control your tongue. The second test of real religion is this. You'll have compassion toward the unfortunate. You know, he doesn't say anything about there, about how much you give or how often you're present, does he? He says, if you're really God's people, you're able to control your tongue, you're able, you have compassion toward the unfortunate. And thirdly, there is purity of life. There is purity of life. You keep yourself unstained by the world. You keep yourself unstained by the world. Doesn't say that you're not that you withdraw from the world. It says you keep yourself unspotted from it. And I think I can illustrate it and finish. I can remember growing up working on a farm. We had some buildings out. We called them smokehouses. They were really outbuildings. We kept equipment in and feed that we used to feed the cattle and, 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 the, and the livestock and the chickens, etc. And in these old buildings, there were, you know, they were old uh, uh, frame buildings, wooden buildings, and they had knot holes in them. Some, some of them did. And I remember as a, as a boy being fascinated by the fact that, that like in late in the afternoon when the light was shining in the, in the, in the west, 
that it would shine through those knot holes, just a stream of light down across the room on the floor. And there was dust particles in that, in that room that you could see moving around in that light. You could see in the light, stream of light, you could see those dust particles there. But you know, even though the dust particles were in the room, they did not affect the light. A man who walks with God lives constantly in the midst of an unbelieving, crooked world. But he's not affected by it. A person can't tell me and make me believe it young person, adult, that you have to be conformed to what's happening around you. You don't have to be affected by the world you live in. You can be different. And God says that you've got to be. Would you bow your heads with me? Now, folks, if you've heard the word tonight, are you going to respond and act upon what you've heard? Don't be just hearers of the word. Be doers of it. And is there that in your life tonight of which you need to repent, confess, give to God? Do you need to respond to this invitation? I hope that if you need to respond to this invitation, that you will. For God's sake and for the church's sake, for your sake and for the kingdom. And if you need to come and place your life here, we want you to. God's people are meeting here and we're serving the Lord here. Or perhaps to claim Jesus as your personal Savior. While the pianist and organist just play softly through one stanza or two, we'll invite you to come right now while they play.